2: from the city of the weird, exploring topics from the esoteric and unexplored to dimensions unknown, shining a light of truth on the darkest corners of our reality. Welcome to the Curious Realm. And welcome to episode 18 of The Curious Realm. Chris Jordan here,
3: coming at you in pre-recorded fashion
2: again this week. Uh, sorry for all the pre-recorded episodes, folks, but my industry has rebooted. And as of now, I am still at least on the road one, mo- one week a month for, well, my career as a live AV technician, things like that. But in addition to that, boy, howdy, am I excited for the fact that we are everywhere that you want to be, folks, when it comes to events. Uh, we have gone out and bon- purchased all kinds of sponsorship packages. Uh, you will soon be seeing Curious Realm. If you go to CuriousRealm.com and scroll down to the bottom past the posts, you will actively see all of our upcoming events, and man, we we have all kinds of stuff. I don't know why it's not populating there. Um, <laughs> I promise you, it's there. Uh, we're going to be having all kinds of fun out at the MUFON conference this year in Denver in July. Uh, we'll also be appearing at the Texas Bigfoot Festival. We will be appearing at the Texas Bigfoot Film Festival. We will be appearing at the Folk Monster Festival. We will also be appearing in live broadcasting our first one um, coming up with the uh, Bigfoot Roadshow in Mineola, Texas. We just interviewed those guys the other day. Sorry about the technical issues with that, but it was a great episode and literally some of the best Bigfoot whoop evidence that I have ever heard on tape. I need to make sure to get them their cleaned up version of that. Uh, we're gonna be having a fantastic conversation tonight with our guest Marlowe Cooper in the first segment. In the second segment, we will be talking uh oh, topic in the first segment with Marlawyn Cooper uh is D.B. Cooper. She is the niece of D.B. Cooper and the author of DB's niece. Uh, we will be talking with her about the many, many folk who have been claimed to be D.B. Cooper every few years. You'd hear about like we found him. We got him. Um, even the amazing show with Lawrence Fishburne, uh, history's greatest mysteries was like, we got him. We found him. Like, we got this guy. Um, but did they? So we're going to be getting into that. We're going to be getting into all of the evidence that she has in her book. We're going to be getting into the D.B. Cooper case in the first segment. In the second segment, we will be welcoming our good friend, uh, Reverend Michael J.S. Carter, frequent guest on ancient aliens to discuss Biblical technologies, uh, things such as the Ark of the Covenant, the chest plate of the high priests of Israel, uh, the staff of Moses, um, uh, uh, other things like the possibility of a manna machine uh, that might have kept the Israelites alive with a form of like, um, you know, producible algae, uh, really, really wild stuff uh, that is referred to. All over the Bible and is the Bible more of like a high-tech instruction and construction manual uh, than just a gathering of stories. So we're going to be getting into that with Reverend Michael J.S. Carter in the second part of the show. Um, Before we welcome our first guest to the show, let's of course get on over to the Curious Realm Facebook page and check out the news of the week. Uh, here's just some of the news and conversations that we've had going on on the Curious Realm group on Facebook. At a KIBW, K-State researchers discover benefits of feeding cattle, hemp. Uh Out of abcnewsgo.com, new vehicles must average 40 miles per gallon by 2026, up from 28 miles a gallon. Here's one that just popped up out of nowhere, and I it's been on here twice um in the same day folks uh independentuk.co.uk mystery as unidentified alien creature washes up on beach after floods and this is the second article about it that i have posted i'm sure that before this broadcast airs more will be posted but this creature looks an awful awful lot like the famed montauk monster that was that was photographed Years ago on the beaches of New Jersey. So stop on by. Check that out. Uh, of course, our good friend Mike Turber was sharing a memory about his interview with the sun talking about uh, the UFO, the Tic Tac UFOs. Um, and out of click to Houston, my own hometown, photos, teen Texas teen who posed with drugs, money and guns and posted pics on Instagram arrested. Authorities say imagine that um, so stop on by join the curious realm group follow us on the curious realm page for all of the announcements everything else uh, but the group is where you can join the conversation that is where we post all the articles that's where we have all the great stuff from the news of the week now before we bring on our guest today I downloaded this special clip uh, out of CBS from this is November 26th, 1971. Uh, this is one of the original reports from CBS News regarding D.B. Cooper and his now famed and infamous skyjacking. When he got on a plane in
1: Portland, Oregon last night, he was just another passenger who gave his name as D.A. Cooper. But today, after hijacking a Northwest Airlines jet, ransoming the passengers in Seattle, then making a getaway by parachute somewhere between there and Reno, Nevada, the description on one wire service, master criminal. Bill Curtis reports. 36 passengers got off the jetliner in Seattle last night, left aboard four crew members and the hijacker dressed in a business suit demanding $200,000 and carrying a plane briefcase which he told the crew held explosives. With the full ransom collected from Seattle banks and four parachutes aboard, the plane headed for Reno. It took three and a half hours, slow for a jet, but the hijacker had given detailed flight instructions. The rear stairwell was open all the way. It arrived at Reno in shreds. The crew, here being debriefed by the FBI, was told to fly low over Oregon's flatlands with the flaps down. The speed dropped to 200 miles per hour. Somewhere, the hijacker parachuted away with the money. The crew had little to say. Oh, uh, we gave the information to the authorities and uh We just don't want to discuss it any further. Have you been told by the FBI not to discuss? No, they handle their investigation, and uh, my company would rather have it released through them. Tina, were you with with the rest of the crew during during the the flight after you left the ground the last time?
0: Yes, I went up to the cockpit.
1: None of you were within sight of the hijacker, right?
4: And we already talked about
1: it, and the captain, you know. Filled oh, it. God, how did you surmise that he was not on the plane when he landed in Reno? Well, a search was made of the plane immediately uh, after landing. As we understood it, he could have gotten off as the plane taxied before it came up here. How did the crew no know way. he wasn't on when it touched ground? No The The crew couldn't know that, but we have the airport covered. Are the authorities now searching for the man? Snow covers the mountains in Northern California and Nevada, a hostile terrain for any parachute drop, especially at night. Police believe he left the 727 in the flatlands of Oregon or Washington, but they are still looking in four states, even around the airport. Once Authorities again, began their search here thinking the hijacker may have jumped off at of the end of the original reports plane touched down. but the problem is more complex about DB Cooper and his amazing daring like he said
2: parachute escape DB's niece is the book Marlowe Cooper is our guest welcome back to the show Marlo Win how have you been
4: I uh, I'm great Chris I've been doing really really good it's um I'm healthy. I'm well. I'm happy. I've got ten puppies in my house. <laughs> like I said in the I'll pre-show interview,
2: that's a, about work. nine and a half too many for me. That's I got enough energy with a five-year-old in the house. Oh yeah, a, that, I don't need that a puppy takes more than house. ten
4: puppies. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the easier job.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start getting into this because you know, like I said in the intro there uh and in the pre-show the whole the whole reason i contacted you was because whenever uh we had you on last time in our previous incarnation they were actively just getting ready to uh, they just filmed and getting ready to release the history's greatest mysteries episode on DB Cooper um and Amazingly enough, despite having this, you know, former agent who'd interviewed this guy and gone through all kinds of things. And, hey, everything seemed to match up like he worked at a a Boeing facility at one point and all kinds of things. Ended up come time for for evidence. Nope, not the case. Everybody that they had that they DNA tested. For swabs from his from his tie, uh nope, not the case, so once again I, I I still find your story to be the most credible one out of out of all the stories that I've read, and d b Cooper has been one of those like just quiet things that I love reading about, you know, like he he is literally the one that got away, like he is the he's one of the only skyjackings out there, much less unsolved.
4: Yeah, you know, um, and the FBI told me they would never be able to prove a case in a court of law that Mm -hmm. They weren't, that they were not certain they even had the right necktie. You know, who knows where yeah. the necktie came from? We know the evidence was all painted. And I've expressed reasons for that in the past, which, you know, we can go over again if you want. I'm sure you have new audience members. But, oh, absolutely. Um, but it was, this is, to me, the more I learn about it, the more I think it's just, so obvious this was a CIA operation. It wasn't meant to be solved. It was meant to be something to put people on edge, um, make them afraid of travel, um, mm. make them want want airport security, make them want to have, um, have to show their ID, have to prove who they are, um they we have always exchanged our anonymity for um, for safety. We've always um, exchanged we've we, little by little have tipped away our freedoms for what we perceive as safety. And these alarming needs for more safety, more safety, more safety are often created by a giant propaganda machine. And even just listening to that clip just now, I was like, it even sounds like a propaganda. Thing, oh, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Totally. It totally sounds <laughs> then, like no, like after that, he, they're going to play the cartoon, weird. then the movie.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: And here come the I boys mean, in blue now.
4: <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I mean, you look at even, I, I and I was not a cons- conspiracy theorist i mocked people like that growing up you know my dad was just i thought he was a crazy conspiracy theorist i mean we laughed at him about the things that he would say the things he would tell us the things that he believed and you know now i know he was trying to break through to me but the programming was so strong from mm every source, you know, whether it's our education system, all media, television programs, every, you know, the, the very term conspiracy theorist came yeah. it was it was coined by the CIA that um, anybody questioning the official narrative of the JFK assassination would be marginalized and labeled as a conspiracy theorist. And there you watch From there on out, the Mockingbird media, it was conspiracy theorists, conspiracy theorists, conspiracy theorists, and they were mocked and disdained. You know, how dare you disrespect the president? We've already killed Lee Harvey Oswald. He was the murderer, this lone crazed gunman. Well, now we have a lone crazed hijacker. No, he was not a lone craze hijacker. He was part of a CIA operation, a greater operation, um, that was first presented to Kennedy under Operation Northwood. Um, The Joint Chiefs of Staff had agreed upon this um, false flag operation that would justify us getting into a war with Cuba and yep. and president kennedy wanted nothing to do with that and you know you can go back and watch video clips of him talking about the secret society that is oh, yeah. you know ruling our you know we we will never be controlled by these secret a secret society we will never tolerate it well guess what they kill him you know so yeah those secret societies those um covert operations whatever carried on through gladio a and b and you know we're still living i believe we're still living in the gladio era and those false flag operations just continue to plague us it's really it's really astonishing to me that people can't see it it's like there's such a pattern to all of it it becomes so obvious once you realize what the pattern is and you know, in the case of the D V Cooper hijacking, there were to me the most the one that really opened my eyes that this was there was propaganda surrounding the hijacking in order to prepare us for this big one. And it was um the movie mm. airport. I've yes. talked about that in the past. If you go back and watch the movie airport that was based on a book written by um, sir arthur haley who was a former member of british intelligence and he writes this book called airport that um was immediately released into like 13 languages um and now it's going to be this fabulous movie with an all-star cast had the biggest marketing budget of any film up until that time um and was released into theaters you know, every if you didn't see that movie, it was kind of like missing Star Wars, you know, for that era, you, you know, you just gotta see this movie, they advertised yeah. the hell out yeah. of it, and and watch yeah. it now it, 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 it's, it's like, it is clearly a propaganda piece, yeah. warming us up to the idea of we've gotta have better air, airport security we well, gotta have
2: it. Well, and to the, I mean so much was it so and and so because there uh, there was a whole uh, there was emergency there was uh, there was uh, the towering inferno that like there was an age of <laughs> right. epic disaster films you know uh, Poseidon mm-hmm. Adventure all kinds of stuff um, mm-hmm. but specifically things that like happened in Los Angeles um, things <laughs> that like Los Angeles was just doomed whether it was spiders coming or or what have you but but this movie that you're talking about was so popular that it spawned Airplane 1 and 2 like that's that's half the jokes that they are making right. are literal jokes springboarding off that movie
0: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission
3: And, right.
2: and, and, uh, you know, let's, let's go ahead and start getting into, because it, it, before we get into that, before we get into the concept of false flag, before we get into the concept of the bank where DB Cooper got his money from and it uh-huh. being a front for CIA uh-huh. money, um, let's get into your uncle and your uncle's known involvement with Things like Operation Phoenix, Skyhook, you know, all the, all these other uh, projects and his involvement in the military. You know, the things that your dad uh, was saying that he used to talk about, stuff like that.
4: Well, um, what I remember is, you know, my uncles and my dad talking about, there were many conversations about skydive, skydiving, skydiving. Um, there were hushed conversations about um, spaceships, aliens, things like that, you know, and, and it was really like, I guess as a kid, and so now it's probably unleashed again in my life, that I was incredibly intuitive. They used to say, Marla has the SP, and it was kind of a, like a, family thing. It was just weird what would come out of my mouth. I would have knowledge of things that um my I would I shouldn't have known about as a little kid, you know, but I just I had understanding of things that I was not naturally taught, you know. So I don't know I don't know where that came from, why that was, but I was literally privy to a lot of conversations. Now details of some of the conversations are really clear. Others are not. You know, I do remember um, them talking about secret operations and money that, you know, they earned two of my uncles, the two who were performing, the you know, who were involved with the hijacking. Um, one of them I know was a bag man for the mob in Sacramento, and they were both living in Sacramento at the time. And my dad told me, you know, they were both, um, involved in in this, that it had to do with their military careers. So that just all seemed weird. Well, you know, later I learned that um, it's it's all the mob activities that fund black ops. You know, it's not part of the federal budget. It's not part of the official DoD budget that we have these operations that are black. They're not. Part of anybody's official military record. So if you go look up my uncle's military record, it has nothing to do with you know special forces of any kind. Where I got that information um, as an adult came as you know through through a general, a retired general who knew him, who explained to me that my uncle ran a supply operation during the Cold War years, um, and he said. You know he was he was known by a code name Linus, and I only knew that because I met someone who knew my uncle had served with him. They both worked for Air America, which was the CIA, right? Um, and 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 so he had told me that he had given him the name Linus, and when he said it, it's like this, these memories just came flooding. Of you know when they were planning to hijacking and had their walkie-talkies out of the woods. And my uncle Dewey was calling L.B. Linus. And so Linus became this key component to um, me learning what was the truth of his military background. And, you know, there have been people, you know, one person in particular who served with my uncle who knew him and um, just remembers what it's badass he was he was like you know he was in for a long time he was he was like this old old um soldier at the time you know just this young man who was 18 at the time and my uncle was in his mid-30s and he he said you know he was much older than the rest of us and we just looked up to him like he was some kind of a deity and i You know, that really was kind of how I saw him, too. Like, as a kid, there was something extra special about my Uncle L.D. He was the one that, you know, my family, my mother would remember as being crazy and out of his mind and all of this stuff. But I was like, he was the most special. And I just felt like I had some kind of psychic connection to him, I guess. Um, You know, the rest of my dad's brothers took a far, far, far second to him um so maybe i was just enchanted by his toughness you know that was kind of submersive it's not like you would he didn't go around acting like a tough guy but you knew he was a tough guy you know yep um interesting times but um you you asked about you know, or something you said in the intro. You know, you hear these theories. They've got these theories of this person, that person, and oh, we're going to prove who it was. And um, I think I mentioned to you on the on the last one. I had I had become friends with Bob Rackstraw. Bob Rackstraw was uh, the target of the History Channel documentary that was, you know, funded by. Tom Colbert, who was the guy who did the Joey Budafuco investigation, and you know, he made a fortune doing that. And then he had this team of 22 ex CIA, ex FBI guys, and all of his loose doing all this investigation. And for five years, they stalked Bob Rextraw. And then uh, the History Channel does this documentary. We're going to have this big reveal the D.B. Cooper case may be solved and all of this stuff and this was when I had you know encountered the general who actually was interviewed by the History Channel um, the the people who were doing the production um, who were fired at the end everybody was fired from that project and the uh, History Channel brings in their own people to do the final edit and put out the the finished four-hour documentary that, that at the very end, you have Tina Mufflau and they can't remember the co-pilot's name, guys um, you know, they're on there at the end and they finally say, no, this guy's definitely not it. He's not, he's not D.B. Cooper. Tom Colbert's out there still trying to prove Bob Rackstraw was the hijacker and literally he ruined Bob Rackstraw's life. Um, yeah. And, you know, kind of a long, co- convoluted way of getting to there, but Bob Rackstraw and I became friends. Bob died um, a couple of years ago. The summer will be two years since he died. And he had, you know, all kinds of evidence, all kinds of files, stuff he wanted to share with me. But he was, he kept it close to his chest. You know, he's like, when we when we can meet face-to-face, I've got so many thousands of pages from this FOIA that um, we can go over. What is in the files of the investigation, and you know, I'll tell you things I know. Well, Bob Rackstraw confirmed something that I had put together on my own, and that was that um, Ralph Himmelbach, who is also dead, but he was the lead investigator out of the Portland Bureau of the FBI following the hijacking. It's Bob Rackstraw who is the most quoted. In the early investigation, he's the one who said there's no way this hijacker would have survived this terrible weather, you know, and that, that he was rude, he was um, loud, he was cussing, he was hateful, he had everybody in terror on the plane. And, and he completely misled the media in the nature of my uncle, that which raised a red flag for me when I had time to think about it. It was like, he totally took them off the trail, took the public off the trail of the hijackers by making these statements, by describing somebody completely different from what my uncle's nature was, which was that he was very quiet. He was very soft-spoken. He wasn't the one drawing attention to himself ever. And he, um, I think that, and, I, and to me it was like, he was probably hiding him. He was probably involved somehow. I knew that Ralph Himmelsbach had been the handler or the commanding officer, non-commissioned officer in charge of another operative um, Jerry, I can't remember Jerry's last name now, but he's been involved in that citizen sleuth group, and he's really um, suffers. He's very bipolar, Jerry is, and anyway, Ralph had been his commanding officer, and I thought, you know, I wonder if he knew my uncle, if he could have been his handler, if he was, and then it, it was like it had to be. If you wanted, if if you're my my compadre. And now I'm assigned to investigate you. And I'm the one releasing information to the public about you. I'm not going to say, you know, Chris Jordan, you know, here's where he lives. um, This is what he looks like. And, you know, no, I'm going to say, oh, I don't know where that guy is. You know, he's got to be, you know, he's got to be dead. There's no way he would have survived the jump. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what Ralph did. So I had asked Bob, I said, you know who Ralph Hillisbuck is, right? And he, he said, oh, yeah. And I go, and so he was the lead investigator. Oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, and he worked with your uncle. And I went, what? I said, that's what I thought. I said, how, have we talked about this? He goes, no. I said, how do you know this? And he said, well, I have my sources, my dear, and I can't just not talk. And I can't talk to you about that right now. Um, but when we can meet face-to-face, I'll tell you more about it. Well, I did meet him face-to-face. He told me no more about it, but just that, you know, things are not as they
5: seemed
4: with, you know, the whole investigation. And and it's because, uh, you know, now the FBI is being investigated for all kinds of corruption, having to do with the steel dossier. And, you know, it's, it's like, I think our all of these entities, these three-letter agencies in our country... People are finding out slowly, but surely it is happening. They were not our friends. They were not here protecting us. They've protected criminals. And I'm not, I don't mean that as an insult to the agents I dealt Mm -hmm. with. I think as, you know, those that have served honorably. Absolutely. But they're getting their orders from somebody above them who's getting their orders from somebody above them. And there's, you know, multiple layers of people putting, you know, basically those guys are the pawns in a big old game. And, you know, they're, they're held in check of keeping secrets and being, you know, operating in integrity and following orders and not questioning authorities Those are the guys who get targeted for those special agent positions. They are the people who will not question authority. And, you know, I think that that was true of the investigators I worked with, the agents I worked with, that, you know, dealt with me. I think that those guys were legitimately trying to solve a mystery. And the more you look at it, the more you put the pieces together, they knew the too. They knew they were never going to be able to solve that mystery. My uncle vanishes into thin air a year after the hijacking. I, my father said he never spoke to him again. Um, and then come to find out he's married someone who works in the FBI field office where all of the evidence had been taken from the plane. So, you know, I'm like, well, of course there's not going to be any evidence left. When, when the evidence went from Reno, Nevada and from Portland to Seattle following 9-11, when all of the agencies had to consolidate, had to share information with each other, it was the Seattle field office that got all of the physical evidence, the whole, all the case files from the NORJAC investigation went to Seattle, and virtually all of the physical evidence was missing from that file. The cigarette butts were gone. You know, the glasses that he'd been drinking from were never found. Um, There's very limited, you know, physical evidence. And Curtis Ng, who was the investigator in charge of, or the agent in charge of the DV Cooper case that I dealt with primarily, told me that, um, you know, none of it. They weren't sure if they had DNA from the hijackers. That it, 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 what they had was a partial sample of DNA from the hijacker that was mixed with something else. It was like they don't have DNA from the hijacker. Why are we even bothering with DNA testing? They're just going through protocols. So it it'll never be solved officially in the public eye. But I was in Portland. um Well, in, I stayed in Portland, but was. At an event, it was the 50th anniversary of the hijacking, and um, Eric Ellis. Eric, that's not right. <laughs> Eric Uless, um was—he was the one who put on the event, and he has this uh, special on HBO all about the Cooper and whatever. And, and you know, I hate to say it, he's just a pretty boy kind of a popcorn head, doesn't doesn't believe in conspiracies. And it's like, okay, fine. You just, you know, you kind of tainted yourself by not being open that there's a conspiracy here. You know, that we are all looking for one lone hijacker. And that's because that's the narrative. That's what the FBI said. And so, you know, that's what we're going with. There's there's one man in the Citizen sleuth who has who has said there had to have been a second person involved. And it was like, well, that's good. Now you think it's just two people, though. You don't think it was a good old operation. But um, I but, was at this advantage. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I I
2: wouldn't say it was a two-person operation, but there uh, there was definitely a lot of cooperation.
3: Oh,
4: yeah, there was. And like, there was, you know... Oh go ahead. No, uh, you you knew
2: you knew that the that they were changing that they were refueling in Reno, that they were letting everybody off. Correct. Um
3: and Well,
4: and, they let everybody off in um Seattle. And then yeah. they re, and they refueled yes, and then they were supposed to refuel in, in Reno, but when they landed the plane the hijackers saw you know, Yeah.
2: You know, and right. and now the The interesting thing is his intimate knowledge of a 727.
0: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.
2: His intimate knowledge of the parachutes that are available Mm -hmm. on a 727 and uh, as well. I mean, of course, uh, it doesn't take a genius to know that there's a back stairwell. Um, Most of the time, the passengers were coming up the back stairwell.
4: Yeah. Well, they, the top engineers at Boeing did not know that you could skydive no. out of the plane. Um, that was very limited knowledge, only known to anybody who had been part of the test flights in Laos in the winter of fifty eight, sixty nine would yeah. know this plane can be skydived out of and Anybody they told. But yep. you know, it's not like it was, it was broadcast. Um, but the thing with LD, he had Dewey on the ground, who only had to patrol with a walkie-talkie a very small area on the ground that was the um, the jump zone, the drop zone where where LD was going to land. Um, and the reason he knew that is, and these guys who are trained as you know marshals who are um, and the Army Rangers, anybody in special forces, you know, they all learn how to identify locations by six geographical data, right? So in the case of the DB Cooper hijacking, by specifying you can only fly the plane at under you know, 10,000 feet and under, and you have to keep the speed at 200 knots, which was, I think that was one of us, 200 knots, whatever. It was a very slow speed for that. Yeah. Plane yeah. Lower, going lower the landing
2: gear, put the flaps right. down.
4: Yeah. And at 10,000 feet, the only way he was going to get out of sea and fly to Reno was on a flight path called Victor 20. The Victor. I forgot what it is. Victor 23 flight path. Um, and it's really interesting. There's a guy, um, Dan come on Marla gosh my my brain is asleep I'll think of Dan's last name here in a minute we've actually become friends he came here to um, interview me for his show and ended up not interviewing me just played guitars and sang and we had a good old time but he'd already decided and made up his mind who, you know, who the hijacker was and he didn't believe those plans. So he really wasn't all that. Dan Ryder is his name. And Dan is a pilot. He was a pilot with Delta. He he's skydived out of, you know, of all these planes. He skydived out of his, I think he's out of one of the 727s. And he's an expert skydiver. He does a show um, where he solved how these plane crashes happen. And he's really good at it. He's very knowledgeable, really interesting guy. But he confirmed when you're flying a flight path, if you get one degree off, he's got the tower screaming at you. You don't just go, yeah. you know, varying willy nilly flying around the sky no more than you would drive off the highway at 90 miles an hour into a field and go through the forest.
2: The difference it, is you it, could it, do that if you wanted to. Um you, you can't well, do that. you can't do that in a plane like you got to actively file a flight plan. You don't have to exactly. you don't have to file a flight plan with anybody whenever you leave to go to the grocery store.
4: That's right. <laughs> and when you're flying that flight path if you very off of you know, that passed by as much as one degree, I think he said one one hundredth of a degree or something, very small, small, small variables in there. Yeah, you know, there are alarms going off. You are, yeah. you know, you could lose your pilot's license flying off, yeah. <laughs> off of there. And so, you know, all these flukes saying, well, he could have jumped out over here. We think he went over this way. You know, Eric Eulis among them. A saying that, oh, you know, we think he went off the flight path and that the, we should be looking for the money over this way and whatever. None of that ever happened. He stayed on that flight path. And as, you know, someone who was trained as a surveyor, as someone who was trained in special forces, my uncle knew, both uncles knew at a point on that Victor 23 flight path. Because if you'd been in any plane, they had a commuter plane flying back and forth, and they had gone skydiving out of, I think it's Nahomish that has these this skydiving place that my uncles were at all the time. According to my mother, like every weekend, they were out there skydiving out of a private plane. They were practicing where the jump was going to happen, where he was going to where at that time, the peak of Mount St. Helens and, the Ma- and Mount Rainier would line up like you were sighting a rifle. And when that happened, was at exactly the same time, there's a sharp hook in the twenty-three, the Victor 23 flight path. This is what Dan Grider told me about the hook in the flight path. And I said, well, let's compare that to what someone else had told me about the peaks lining up. And sure enough, it's exactly that spot. It's like you know, if somebody, practically somebody shoves you out of the airplane with those two things happening, there was no doubt about where, when he jumped out for Dewey to be able to find him. It was simple for Dewey to find him. And, you know, the problem was with the parachutes, which the FBI had found shut. That's not part of the official record, but that is what I was told. By someone who was friends with Ralph Himmelsbach, that Himmelsbach bragged about it. We sewed his parachute shut. We know, mm-hmm. we know he didn't live because we sewed his parachutes shut. But here again, I think that was a half truth. I think that Himmelsbach was telling this to a man um, named Jack Rollins who told it to me. Um, I call him Con Man Jack. Um, Ralph was flying around with Con Man Jack and his um, aircraft following the D.B. Cooper hijacking and saying, you know, we've, we've got to go I've got to go interview this person, that person, but it's just a waste of time because we know the guy is dead. And personally, I think that that was part of Ralph covering for my uncle, that he would tell Con Man Jack Con Man Jack had a big mouth, and Con Man Jack did all kinds of um, – What what's the word that I want? Uh, he did – he was kind of like a clean-up guy for and, – and also just – he was a snitch. He gave the FBI um, information about criminals in mm-hmm. exchange for them turning a blind eye to his criminal activities.
3: Oh, um, like
2: a Whitey he, Bulger. He, <laughs> not
4: that,
3: not that that's
4: he, what Whitey
2: Bulger did.
3: <laughs> right. So he,
4: but, but he named Ron Wyden, right, who is still like a senator for out of is he out of Washington or Oregon? I can't remember. But he named him as one of the guys that he's done some dirty job for. He's like, Yeah, his house burned down because he needed to collect on insurance or his car I blew up his car, I drove his car off the you know, whatever. He was it was like he did dirty work for these politicians, you know, these monsters, whatever, you know, so they could collect the insurance, so they could do this or that or, you know, pay off you know, some blackmail that was happening i mean he had all kinds of crazy stories like that and anyway i think that ralph himmel's book told loudmouth jack roland uh, we know the guy's dead because he sewed his parachute shut so that jack roland would tell everybody the hijackers dead you know because probably my uncle was a compromised asset And, you know, all those other hijackings that happened in that same era that I believe were all part of Gladio and, you know, these other suspects, I think that they performed the same type of hijacking, only they weren't extorting money. And so there was no, you know, big press release. That was kind of a... The icing on the cake. They were trying to get people outraged for these hijackings because here we are in this economy that's horrible. You, know, you can't get gas. You can't like it is right now, right? Yeah. And <laughs> the gas lines were like a mile long. You wait in line for a mile to get gas. I remember these things. And, um, anyway the public was supposed to be outraged that this hijacker got away with that money. But instead they were like, yeah, stick it to the man. You know, it was, he was a celebrity. He wasn't, you know, America's most wanted, the evil doer, no matter how much the press tried to convince you of that. I think people were really like, they saw him more as a hero.
2: Yeah. You he, know? he remained on the most wanted list until they closed the case. That's right. And and once and again, it, one of the only actual unsolved cases that the FBI has, much less uh, the only unsolved skyjacking.
4: That's right. It's the only unsolved skyjacking. But apparently Curtis Ng didn't only tell me they knew my uncle was the hijacker. He told it to all of us that it's a clue. And they pretty much dismissed it. They said, no. We're going to keep looking. We're going to keep looking for evidence. And, you know, they keep going back to the necktie. And now they're, yeah. you know, they need like half, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to do this other test and blah, blah, blah.
3: <laughs> yeah.
4: It's like, you guys just can't accept what the FBI really, maybe they know something you don't know. <laughs> you can't accept it my uncle, I mean, that, told, that blew my mind. When, when, and the other thing that really got me was, um, I've shared this with you before. You used to be able to go on uh, this website uh, this guy Sluggo had, and it was called Sluggo's um, Norjack something or other, and he had all of the flight transcripts on there. And there are there's reel after reel of flight transcripts, and as one tower, you know, as the plane flew, the next tower would be picking up the signal for the communications between the plane and the headquarters of Northwest Orient in Minneapolis and Seattle Tacoma Tower, where the was flying out of and then Marino's tower and so as the plane flew there would be a different reel depending on which tower was picking up the signal well and, and I,
2: so- I've got a map up right now of the actual flight path in black the typical flight path of the plane um, mm-hmm. and then the actual route taken which started pretty parallel and then just boy howdy went on a joyride
4: That,
3: what you're looking at
4: is, wait a minute, what you're looking at is bullshit. That is put out by some citizen sleuth. That is bullshit. Okay. I'm here to tell you, they stayed on the Victor 23 flight path. And there is an old map of um, that, oh gosh, I think his last name is Scott Radekak. He was the navigator, I believe, on the plane. And he is like he's very old now. He's really good friends with Whoa. Dan Grider. Well, they became friends. But anyway,
2: and the whole he, The whole reason I brought up that map is because, yeah, like that is at least from what you're talking about with the person that had all the different tower reports and everything else and transcripts. Uh-huh. That's pretty much where those came from was hey, yeah, we got it over here. Hey, yeah, we got it over here. So yeah, they're like well, putting it up, but... Um, yeah. It
3: yeah,
4: yeah. so like the tower guy, this was really interesting. I'm glad I went to that 50th anniversary pre- presentation mm. because um, Dan Greider was not invited to participate, right? But he went there, and Dan can be kind of like a bit of a pest, whatever, but he knows the ship when it comes to commercial airlines. He was a Delta pilot for like thirty-five years, something like that, and then they had somebody who was on the panel of the flight path, who was a tower operator, and the guy said, "Yeah, you know, he he was kind of re, reinforcing what these citizen flutes were saying, which was he was way off, he was way off the path, whatever." Well, Dan interrogated the guy. He got up there and questioned him. And pretty much, to me, he annihilated his belief. He was like, okay, so you only had about 18 miles of that entire journey that you were able to hear. You know, you had how many minutes of that flight that you heard the dialogue and you're basing this belief on this. Have you ever flown a plane? Have you ever (laughs) kind of really exposed that it was, idiocy to think that they had flown anything but the Victor 23 flight path. and there is, if you search the Victor 23 flight paths on Google Images you can find a map, an old 1971 map where whoever, whichever one of the, the guys in the crew, I don't remember if it was Scott or Raddick, whatever it's been, Rattig, <laughs> I can't say his last name. Um one of them actually drew out on the map the path they took and and you know along the Victor 23 he said this is this is where we flew the plane. It was just like this and he still had the drawing when Dan Grider went to his house and was asking him about it. He said, "Yeah, I still got it right here. Here's here's what I drew out for them." And so I, I would say some people have, you know, for, for, I don't even know why the flight path is really in question because mm. they're saying the, the whole, um, well, maybe he veered off this way or that, but the, the Navy back NV6 parachute would have dropped him straight down out of the plane, no matter what the parrot, yeah. what the weather conditions were whether he got hung up in body tree coverage is debatable. I think that he had a problem with the chute and that's why he was so injured. Um, But, you know, at 10,000 people have survived jumps, have survived drops from 10,000 feet when they had no parachute, if they got caught in the tree cover and stuff. So I know for a fact that he survived, but, um, I uh, anyway. What what is interesting though is from Sluggo's website, and I couldn't find it. I tried to pull this up before, and even I didn't yeah, I I find published it. My, yeah, well, when I published Sluggo's site is gone. But most of those citizen flutes have never read the flight transcripts, and they used to be up on the, the FBI website as well as on Sluggo's website, and now they're not. And maybe it's because I've said it too many times. And even in my own book on, this is so weird. I had a screenshot of the flight transcript where it's cut, where there was communication from Seattle to Seattle, from Northwest Orient headquarters, Minneapolis, Cautioning the courier who was taking the money and the parachutes to the plane, um, that they needed to make sure the courier was not wearing a uniform.
0: It, it said, "What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground." cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
4: Our friend has a previous arrest record for drunkenness, and we don't want to just think the courier is a cop. That mm-hmm. was in the flight transcript. And then there was a clear cut. You could see the the shape, you know, like if you're looking at a text page and then the, you you chop part of it out of the middle and you don't perfectly line up the text, it was so obvious that the transcript had been, had been cut and there was about a several minute pause, I don't know how many minutes it was, there was a long pause before Lieutenant Scott comes back and says, um, Roger, which, so it's like, what was that dialogue? That dialogue, the fact that Minneapolis knew the arrest record of the hijacker while the plane was in flight proved they knew who the hijacker was.
3: Mm. Who
4: the hijacker was was never a secret. And that information was readily available when I was writing my book. And you know that was something that I had discovered after reading about... That little segment in Ralph Himmelsbach's book, which is called Norjap. And he tells this story of that communication coming in. And then he laughs it off. He said, Wow, you know, FB, the, what did he, how did he put it? FBI computers were doing their job. And it was like, did anybody actually read Himmelsbach's book who had a brain? <laughs> How would the computer know who the hijacker was if the identity of the hijacker is unknown? It was really weird to me. And, you know, when I read that in his book, that's when I went looking at the original transcript. Most of those citizen's police people supposedly doing all of this investigation have never bothered to read those transcripts. Why would it? That should be the first place you would go if you want to investigate what happened on the plane, supposedly. I would think you would be reading the transcript. None of them have done it. None of them. When I talked to them at the 50th, I was like, you guys haven't read the transcript? No, I don't even know where you get the transcripts. <laughs> Well, well, I don't know what you do now either. But you guys were in this long before I was. So.
2: <laughs> well, I will definitely so, do my due diligence to find those. And uh, you know,
4: you know, they say that there's one in California. Why California? I don't know, except that so much of this mob shit happens in California.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: But they said that there was one in California that really was concise. That you know, made sense. It it matched the narrative, I think is what it was. But that's why like, they liked that. They said, yeah, I read the one out of California, but, you know, that other one that had so many starts and stops because it was from one reel, then another reel, then one ends and another, and they were like, oh, you couldn't make any sense out of that. That doesn't match what, we know happened well and,
2: and, and of course, not only what we know happened, but the profile of D. b. Cooper that's uh of course, the questions that people ask all the time are, you know, uh things like, um, was your uncle ever involved in the military? Uh, did your uncle did your uncle have a history of parachuting, skydiving, uh, things like that, especially in the military? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I, do people
4: ask. you say they, I mean, yeah, they do ask me that all the time, and but, and I'm like, yes, he did. Is that part of his official military record? No, it's not. And you know, Curtis Ng asked me about that. He said, know, Yo, Marla, you was in the Navy. You wouldn't have been a high, you wouldn't have been a skydiver." I was like, I don't have an explanation for it, but I do know that he and Dewey both. Talked about their parachuting experience in, you know, when they were in the military. Well, come to find out, you know, the same thing Army Rangers. Sure. Um, you know, you've got anybody trained in special forces, whether yeah. they're SEALs, Delta Force, yeah, I was Rangers. Say Navy,
2: Navy they're extraction all- units, people who train Navy, exactly. Navy folks Any- for survival. All
3: that
4: Anybody stuff. doing reconnaissance work? Yeah, but you know what? They're not spelling that out there for the public to know. Who knows how to do what? Like one of well, the guys and- who had been a com- he wasn't a compadre, but he was he was around at the time of the D V trooper hijacking. He worked for Black Rock. He was a or Blackwater. Yeah, Blackwater. He was a you know he's still an active, and he's an old man. I mean, this guy is in his 70s, and he's like, we're men without names and men without faces. You're meant to blend in, not to draw attention to yourself. You're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to be incognito. You don't want to be being investigated for war crimes, and so these things are not in their records. It's like you could be living next door to you, and you might be somebody." Who was a CIA operative or sure. is a CIA operative.
3: They're all over the place. You don't know who they are. You're not supposed to know who they are. Yeah, yeah.
4: Per, you know, per, so yeah if you,
2: you know up. who they are, they didn't do their job well enough. Uh. Exactly.
4: Exactly.
2: <laughs> and and so, you know the the main reason why I asked the questions about the, the military history, specifically the military skydiving history, Mm -hmm. is, of course, the fact that, well, the CIA actively uh, proved through airdrops that you could use the 727 as a delivery platform. Um,
4: I think the CIA had the plane designed for that exact purpose. I think that they held them in reserve at Boeing until they needed them, but that they commissioned Boeing to design a plane that they could skydive out of without really the public knowing that's the purpose well, of it. And, so and it looks it, like an ordinary passenger plane, exactly. but it's used for reconnaissance work.
2: Exactly. And uh, you know, um not just that, but once again the, the intimate knowledge that D B Cooper had of the plane, the the mm-hmm. air the aeronautic properties of it and and how it flew and how to fly it and how to properly jump out of it not just properly jump out of it but properly jump out of it to the point of comfortability of having a couple bourbons yeah having having it because hey you're getting ready to skydive and that might be one thing you know if you're like hey yeah let's hop out of the prop plane at you know 8,000 feet something like that this ain't no prop plane mm
4: mm-hmm you know, no.
2: um, you aren't if jumping out of the side didn't. of it. You're jumping out of the back of it and you're jumping out into the middle of the wash of it, which means you better be h- highly experienced.
4: Here's what's interesting. He didn't know how to lower the stairs because the ones they were using for testing over loud didn't have the aft stairs. They were wide open. They were flying with a hole in the belly that the aft stairs were not on when they were flying they were off so he didn't know how to lower the aft stairs he had to have help from the um flight attendant with that so that's kind of an interesting little piece of information the man who knew my uncle who identified him by his name By both his actual name. Oh, there's another thing I need to tell you about. Um, I found out though from the Citizens' List on the at the 50th anniversary that because these guys, some of them actually had access to all of the FBI records about the case. Well, if you search um, what happened. You know, and I think it was maybe it was in Ralph's book that I had read that it was the, um, the airline employee when he walked up and said, I'm Dan, You know, I want to buy a ticket. You know, is this going to be a 727? He asked that question apparently. And normally they, well, in, in either Ralph's book or somewhere else, I mean, it, it's online. It's kind of a obvious thing that um, supposedly the airline airline attendant wrote the name Dan Cooper on his ticket. And you can find images of the ticket, right, with the name Dan Cooper as it was printed supposedly by the airline attendant. Well, according to what those sleuths who had, who were in the FBI, you got to look at the records and, you know, really study the FBI reports. He wrote his own name, and that got me excited because I actually have a photograph of his old suitcase that was still in the duplex where he lived at the time that he died, and I mean, this suitcase looks like it's from 1970-something, and there's still the residue of masking tape on it. Where he wrote his name, Dan Cooper or Lynn Cooper, and all you're seeing is that, and and you know, it's the first his first name Lynn is kind of partially removed, but the way he wrote Cooper, it like it perfectly matches what's on that plane ticket, it perfectly matches, and it's like the FBI didn't even do any kind of handwriting analysis, and the narrative is that he didn't write his own name. Isn't that
2: interesting? Very interesting.
4: I'll send you pictures.
2: And and just so you know, folks, I mean, right now, this is not all in the curious realm knowledge vault yet. Um, it is publicly <laughs> available. I, I will definitely be adding all of these FBI files of the D.B. Cooper case to our knowledge vault. Um, but I'm actively in the FBI vault, which... Just so you know, is vault.fbi.gov forward slash D dash B dash Cooper, uh, capital DBC folks. Um, and that's where all these PDFs are that I'm showing you about, you know, investigations going as far as Sacramento. Um, unsub aka Dan Cooper, Northwest Airlines, flight 305, Portland to Seattle. Like it's pretty wild. Like I don't know if
4: I know know if anything about
3: me is even in the file. I don't think they have released any of my
4: part of the
2: investigation. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I will have to deep, deep, deep dive into this um, because this is just something that I haven't. I I have numerous things about D.B. Cooper, uh, you know, the things like what I played earlier, stuff like that. But just since the investigation has been closed, has this stuff been made public in this way? Uh, this stuff came out. Let me see what is the what does the link say here? I'm trying to see.
3: Probably
2: 2016. Yeah, that's it, that's what I'm thinking as well. Yeah, that's that what was it looks when they like.
4: the case. Was right. Yeah. They made an official announcement right after the. Yeah. History channel documentary
2: came out I- exactly and I mean it's just it's wild information and wild to think that you know like like you said like we've said in previous episodes that we had you on in our former incarnation um it really seems much more like a dry run and and a way by which to obtain money from shadow banks stuff like that um, um yeah it, Definitely.
3: Just,
2: yeah. It. it it's, it's really strange. Once again, not that the FBI didn't spend fifty years investigating it, you know, um, but right. to have never solved it, to have swung and missed so many times, um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: something's just something's just weird about that. Uh, with well, as much information in- as was available. Well,
4: and I think it's interesting that the other hijackers were all killed. You know, they went to prison, tried to escape, got killed. Yep. You know, and they got out and committed another crime, and they were killed. They were, you know, none of them alive. talked about the operation. None of them. Yeah. But he lived. He lived until he died of um, Lou Gehrig's disease. What? He had epilepsy, Lou Gehrig's disease, which is very common among, um, special forces guys. That was a lot of guys who were in Vietnam and who did, um, the secret reconnaissance work, died of nuclear disease.
2: And, and how, uh, how old was your uncle when he passed?
4: He was 66 years old. He died in 99. And he was born in
2: thirty three. And how long after? Isn't did that weird?
4: Y- yeah. 66, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. really
2: weird, actually. Um, <laughs> uh,
4: how long after? And, and, and that's another thing. I'm sorry, because if I'm... you look him up, it says that he was born in 1931. Even his headstone says that he was born in 1931. But so my grandfather's Bible says that he was, that my grandmother wrote in her own hand that I have, says that he was born in 1933. And this is how I know his military records are totally fake. He got, according to his military record, um, well, he would have already been 18 years old when he enlisted, is the point. So why lie? Why lie about your date of birth? He didn't have to, you know, if he was truly 18 years old when he enlisted. And according to his official record, he was more than 18 years old. He was like 20 years old or something when he enlisted. That's not
3: factual. So, yeah.
4: Anyway.
2: Wow. Well, how long after your uncle's death did you decide to compile the information that you have uh, in DB's niece and put that out? Because that's, I mean, once again, an amazing story, even even if not uh, D.B. Cooper, the story of your uncle and everything put forth in here is absolutely amazing. Once again, um, after seeing numerous things, after see, following the story for many, many years, uh, it seems like what you lay out with your uncle seems like the most likely to me.
3: Um, you know, and I really, yeah, go ahead. uh,
4: Yeah, I need to do an update to that book because some of the things I'm telling you I didn't know when Mm. I released the book. I put it out hurriedly, you know, I've been working on it for five years at the time that I released it. Um, and I only put it out because of the History Channel documentary coming out where I had shared all of my information with them. I told them all kinds of stuff. I needn't have worried. Um, I was advised by somebody, a friend of mine who had been a producer at ABC news when I was on good morning America. He had come as part of the team that interviewed me and um, he had, advise me like you gave if you gave them all of your proprietary information you really need you know and you you need to protect your intellectual property by putting that book out even in its raw form yes you put it on amazon do something so i did that and I, i've never done anything to market it you know i talked about it in interviews but i'm like i really never felt like the book was complete you know, but it was like okay, I could see the point of putting it out. Okay, I'm just going to stick it out there as a marker. You know, this was my or inter- this is my information, my research. These are the people I spoke to. You know, gave me the, the knowledge that I have, and strangely, you know that. I need, I need to no worry. I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I forgot my train of thought. You, you started to say something about, um, I'm sorry, Chris, I totally lost my train of thought. Well, uh, well I don't, I don't remember I'm, really
3: I'm up, just
2: talking but, about the, the, what, what it took for you to be able to come through, oh, like, like you were just yeah, saying yeah, with, you, with the investigator okay. who said, if you've done this, you need to get out in front of it right now
3: yeah, and, right, right. and publish. Well, so, so what?
4: What it happened is, you know, I witnessed these things as a child, mm. and then my dad took me down after, you know, witnessing my uncle planning the hijacking, I'm out in the woods with them before they went to Portland for my uncle LD to get on the plane. I was out in the woods with them around Sisters, Oregon, while they're testing the bandwidth of a set of walkie-talkies. I've never seen walkie-talkies. I thought these were the coolest things. You know, I'm eight years old, and we're home for Thanksgiving at my grandmother's house in Sisters, Oregon. Mm. We had come to visit from Spokane, Washington, and we were there for Thanksgiving. And I'm out in the woods, walking through the woods with my Uncle L.D., who has a walkie-talkie and we're walking the opposite direction from uncle Dewey who has the other walkie-talkie and Dewey keeps saying, can you hear me Linus? Come in Linus. Do you copy Linus. And I'm like Linus, you know, I'm laughing. I'm eight years old and I'm a Peanuts comic book fan. And I'm like, if you're, if you're Linus, uncle Dewey is pig pen, because he was an absolute slob, you know? Yeah. And then as we're walking, we find out there's about a mile and a half between them and they can still hear each other through the forest. That was important. Um, and when we were getting back to my grandma's house, I'm calling uncle L. Linus and he says, you can't call me that. You can't, you can't say that name. It's a secret. It's a big secret. You can't tell anybody that. Okay. Never thought about it again. until I met, um, the man who knew my uncle but anyway so here i am i'm eight years old the next day we are trying to watch the macy's thanksgiving day parade on tv but all there is is you know this stuff about db cooper and that morning my two uncles had been back to my grandmother's house in the car uncle lb is all beat up they try to tell me they were in a wrecked but the car is not wrecked none of this is making sense to me my dad comes out of the house um, and you know has they have this big confrontation on the driveway it was all very emotional his LD looks like he's on the brink of death where the day before he's been perfectly fine while we're tracing around in the woods and so this is all very traumatic for an 8 year old kid right and my dad sits me down on the back porch of my grandmother's house and tells me you can never, ever talk about this. This is a secret. I know we don't keep secrets, but this is life and death. Uncle L.D. has done something really bad and he could be killed if the police find out what he's done. He didn't actually get away with it. You know, he's just giving me this lecture and, you know, I'm seeing the news reports that day of this hijacker and thinking how, you know, interesting it is that they do these drawings. But I'm not thinking about this looking like anybody, but looking at those drawings now, yeah. it looks like my dad, you know? <laughs> so, anyway, I, um, later, my dad, you know, gives me the lecture all over again. And honestly, Chris, I think he mind wiped me because I completely just, forgot about it and then he reminded me of it you know the month before a month before he died my father reminds me of the hijacking and this was 1995 christmas and he died a month later honestly i wonder if my dad got taken out for talking about it he was um he worked for military intelligence i believe he was a remote viewer. He had some kind of work that he did in intelligence that he couldn't talk about, but that he, you know, was. was, he told us he could be called back any time because of the skills that he had. And, you know, I think that my dad did something to make me forget. And then... You know, as a 30 something year old woman in at Christmas that year, when I asked him about LD, when he said, you know, don't you remember this? He hijacked that airplane. You need to write a book about this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I could remember knowing my uncle was a hijacker, but I didn't know anything about D B Cooper. I didn't know what he was talking about. He's like, Marley, you gotta go research. You gotta write a book. You have to do this. Promise me. He kept calling me when I went back home after Christmas and, you know, pressuring me about writing a book. And I was like, you know, my dad's a batshit, crazy conspiracy theorist. I'm you know, if I get around to this, I'll get around to it. I've got more important things going on. And a month later, he's dead. And do I think about D.B. Cooper again? No, not until mm-hmm. 13 years later, my mother brings it up again. My mother at her birthday party said, you know, we we were talking about old family gatherings because we're having this big party for my mother. And it's like, wow, it reminds me of being in Oregon and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I started thinking about family and I asked, What do you think ever happened to Uncle L D? And she said, Oh, that son of a bitch was crazy and I was like, Why would you say that? She brought it up. She she said, Oh, I just I know he was D B Cooper and I didn't know who that was. I was like, Who who's D B Cooper? What are you talking about? And my sister comes out and says, Oh, you know, the hijacker And it was like wind from heaven hitting me from all sides. You know, I'm flashing back into the conversation with my dad. I'm seeing this news story at eight years old. I'm like I mean, all of this is just flooding into my brain. It's like something something unlocked in my head mm. and for the next week it's like i keep having these flashes these glimpses of memories and you know i had gone online that that very night looked up cooper hijacking and you know right away it's like oh my god these these pictures these composite drawings look like my dad and and then I'm remembering the Dan, you know, it's like Dan Cooper, where's Dan Cooper come from? And, and, you know, I'm remembering the comic books that he had stuck on his bedroom wall. They were some thumbtacked up to the bedroom wall. And it's like all of this stuff is coming back. And I'm feeling like the biggest idiot in the world. How could I forget so much for so long? And I, I described that in my book, you know, the, a dream that I had right before I had a um, polygraph test for the FBI, where I'm literally asking God in my dream, how could I have forgotten so much for so long? And it's like, no, it was just locked up. You didn't forget. It. It was, that wasn't. The, it wasn't time to remember. You know, now it's time to remember, kind of a thing. And anyway, that's what prompted me to write the book. Was you know, remembering what my dad had said before he died, you have to write this book. It was like a mandate given from my father. And, you know, the whole time I was writing it, I have to say it was like a supernatural journey. Um, The heavens opened up for me to even have the resources to stop working for a year and a half I had, there was a man who came into my life who offered to underwrite the book. um, And another person, a beautiful woman here in Oklahoma City, offered for me to live on her estate for safety reasons. I was going through a really awful divorce at the time that the FBI or the, yeah, the FBI leaked about the investigation and I had moved on to this private estate at the time that The news reports came out in August of 2011, and, you know, I was in this secluded, safe place living, you know, behind a gate (laughs) with big dogs. Um, The estate just sold last month, but I lived there for a year and a half while I wrote this book and could just isolate. I have a wonderful friend with a cabin in the mountains in New Mexico, and I would go back and forth and, and be up in the woods you know, writing from this cabin, And, you know, even a song that my dad had written on my birthday, um, sometime before he died, it was a couple of years before he died, he wrote a song that was about my Uncle LD. And, you know, it's not clearly um, told in the song lyrics, that if you knew, you know, what happened, it was, it was just mm-hmm. so clear to me. And it came it came to me while I was writing the book. My his wife died and his son had this sealed envelope. He said, You know, there's a certified letter that your dad sent to himself that's never been opened and inside of it was a tape recording of this song and the lyrics and the date that he wrote it. It was a Christmas song and it was about my Uncle L D and it was like, Wow. I mean i, I I'm just in awe of how beautifully God yeah. when I opened myself up and said, I'm willing, I'm willing to do this thing you've called me to do, even though I don't know the first thing about writing a book. I don't know. I never written I mean I wrote first it for thing you my do is just start writing. Life. Exactly. And really it was like I would sit and I would just get in a zone and I would write ten thousand words a day. Wow. On some days. Some days even more than that. I would just be it was like I was in a trance just well writing it all. I anyway. laud
2: anybody that is willing to put their art out there, willing to put their story out there. Um especially not only if it's like a story that, you know, you you came up with yourself, but um, if it is a story of your life and it is a story that oh. much like, much like we say, any anytime that we talk with experiencers of, uh, UFO or other phenomenal things, um, it is not always in the person's best interest to come forward with the story. Um, right. <clears throat> some of the ridicule that you have received, some of the, some of the bad press that you have received. Hey, once again, um many people have been like, ah, you know, that story, whatever, you know, FBI just found their guy. Um, nope. Still. No, not they him.
3: didn't.
2: <laughs> History's greatest. <laughs> mysteries so didn't funny. find him, not the first time and the second time. Um yeah. this once again is the closest yeah. thing uh that I have found that is yet to be fully debunked about anything. So I thank you regardless yeah. for coming through with The way you see the story, uh, the story from your life, the way that they connect together and and the way that it's brought you to where you are now and the way that it's changed your life. So I thank you for that. I thank you for always coming on the show uh, whenever we've called on you. Um, Thank you so much for all the time that you spent with us this evening.
4: Oh, it's a delight to talk with you, Chris. Thanks for thanks for letting me tell the story and not editing
2: it <laughs> absolutely no 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 i mean that's just making edit. it
4: thanks for not making it for a different narrative well, you know well, a lot so, of people
2: ask me why i don't edit the show and i'm like you realize what i could actively make people say like yeah i could i could chop things yeah. up all kinds of ways but before we let yeah. you go um and ask you to hold the line while we move on to the second guest um Tell everybody where they can go. I'm holding my copy of DB's Niece right now. I have it both in physical and in e-form, as I do with most of my guest books. Um, But tell everybody where they can go online other than the Curious Realm store to find that book.
4: Well, I recommend, I mean, go to the Curious Realm, of course, and buy it through your link. (laughs) But um, Amazon, it's only out on Amazon, and I do recommend downloading the the electronic version through Kindle. Um, it's very expensive to print because I have a lot of photographs in there. Yeah. Um, apparently the one is missing, that's supposed to be the flight transcript screenshot. Um, but you can, they print it by, by order. And so it's very yeah. expensive, ridiculous. Um, but it's, I think it's, $9 to download the ebook. Yeah. And it's BB's Niece, The Story of My hijack Life by Marla Win Cooper.
2: Well, once again, Marla, thank you as always for your time, for coming on, sharing your story. Uh, please do hold the line while we switch gears and get ready to bring on our good friend, Reverend Michael J.S. Carter. Uh, we'll be right back. After this, folks, hold the line. With the rise in attention to the health benefits of cannabis and cannabinoids, including CBD, True Hemp Science has become one of the premier providers of full-spectrum CBD and CBD-related products. Using a proprietary spigeric process, True Hemp Science extracts maximum benefit from the whole hemp plant. Buds, leaves, stems, seeds, even roots every part of the plant is used and then reused to formulate a rich complex profile of cbd cbd derivatives and terpenes guaranteed to provide the relief and benefits you need daily Visit TrueHemScience.com to experience the best CBD oils, edibles, and topicals on the market today. And use code CURIOUS7 to save 7% off your entire purchase of $50 or more and get two 25-milligram CBD cookies or brownies free. That website again is TrueHimScience.com and the code is CURIOUS7. Curious Realm Podcast is your source for the latest and greatest news and events in the world of the paranormal, esoteric, and forbidden knowledge. And there's no better way to spark the conversation than with items from the Curious Realm store. Choose from fan favorites like hoodies, mouse pads, coffee mugs, and more. Buy books and items from your favorite Curious Realm guests. Get your hands on the latest gear for paranormal investigations and experiments we discuss on the show. Open your web browser and stop on by the Curious Realm store at CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy the latest Curious Realm wear and out-of-this-world gifts for yourself, your family, or a mind that you want to open. That website, again, is CuriousRealm.com forward slash store. Have you considered starting a podcast, looking for a way to make your business a voice of authority in an industry? Then Podcast Cadet is the solution for you. Whether starting a podcast for yourself, your brand, business, school, church, or just plain fun, Podcast Cadet is here to help you navigate the waters of the podcast industry. Specializing in one-on-one consultation and training with industry professionals and fields, Ranging from podcast technology and editing to distribution, monetization, and even social media strategies, Podcast Cadet tailors their services to the specific needs of you and your podcast. Do you already have a podcast and trying to find ways to engage and grow your audience? Sign up for your Podcast Cadet audit today. And let us help you explore new and exciting ways to leverage your content and elevate your podcast brand to whole new levels. From consultational workshops to affordable podcast production and maintenance packages, Podcast Cadet is your one-stop shop for everything podcast-related on the Internet. Visit podcastcadet.com today to sign up for your consultation or training and use code CURIOUS20 to save 20% off your entire purchase. That website, again, is podcastcadet.com. And welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors, as always, especially our new sponsor, WebWorks Wireless. Uh, those guys are fantastic. They're offering some great mobile wireless packages for folks like me that do live production, uh, folks that are out in the woods trying to live kind of more of an off-grid life with their family, but, hey, still kind of tethered. You know, um, so we've been benchmarking things for them very successfully out on the road, doing uploads, all kind of things to make sure that they can actually claim, yeah, unlimited um I can tell you right now over the last month as a use case, I have actively put up almost ten gigabytes of data uh through their system that they have given me, and that is what all of our web streams go through. That is what all of our web streams from the upcoming Mineola Bigfoot Festival, upcoming Folk Monster Festival, upcoming uh, MUFON Symposium, all those live feeds will be coming through WebWorks Wireless. So we're very, very happy to have partnered with them on that. Stop on by and check them out, folks. WebWorksWireless.com. Our guest in this second segment, our good friend, Reverend Michael J.S. Carter, welcome back to the show. How are you today?
5: Hey, good to be back, my friend. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm glad we're making this a habit. And as I said before, welcome home. I know you've been busy, and yeah. thanks for finding the time.
2: Well, man, thank you for taking the time. I know you, as you said in our pre-show conversation, are in the midst of moving, and that's yes. just a whole life process <laughs> itself, you know, um, the packing of things and the deciding. <laughs> It's Ooh. wow. It's a lot. Um, it's so a lot,
5: brother, and I got all these books. I, I got more books. But anyway, that's. Yeah. Listen, that's 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 a first world kind of challenge. I'm not in the Ukraine. Yeah, being, yeah. You know, fire in a firefight somewhere. So no complaints.
2: Exactly. Exactly. No well, and, and, you know, speaking of the burdens of knowledge, so to speak, uh with, with all the books and the volumes and everything else let's start getting into the knowledge of possible lost technologies in the bible now yes. we, we've of course had you on talking about ufo's in the bible things like that you've of course been featured on ancient aliens numerous times um but the the concept of high technology in the bible has Always fascinated me. And, and when you start going into things like the Ark of the Covenant and even, even the descriptions of how it's built, it's almost like it's a capacitor. Um, yeah. And, and when you start talking about how the, the manna that, that came about for the Israeli people, uh, as they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, um, where did that come from? How did it just magically appear? Uh, you know, the staff of Moses, there's, there's all kinds of strange, interesting examples of technology that could be there in the Bible. So let's, let's kind of start, I guess, cracking the nut and getting into a little bit of it.
5: Okay. Well, I want to go back, uh, probably a few thousand years before the Exodus, you know, when we look, well, I want to broaden the definition of technology. Yes, technology being something that basically can make your life a little easier, help you accomplish the, tax that, the, 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 the tasks that you want. And there are yes. several uh, stories, You know, if we look at Cain building a city, you know, there were tools. Noah builds the ark. Uh, Tubal Cain creates. You know, in Genesis four twenty two, you know, making stuff out of bronze and. And and iron. The Tower of Babel's built. Solomon builds a temple. You know, yes. uh, recently scholars are talking that Jesus maybe wasn't the poor carpenter, that he was probably a stonemason because of another definition of the word, the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. I forget it. But you've heard about it. There's the Ark of the Covenant, Book of Well, Enoch talks about the angels, the fallen angels, some Jay Z and the other and his followers who, you know, continuing the story of Genesis 6, that these the sons of God came into the daughters of men because they were fair. Yeah. And gave us technology. Uh, Enoch talks about uh, teaching us how to work with metals, uh, teaching us um, how to work with dyes and astrology and astronomy, you know, forms of technology in a loose sense of the word, how to make defensive weapons, how to use crystals and gemstones, Yes, and so you know we have that template, and I'm sure there's probably more, but Enoch is talking about that the these these beings gave technology yes. to us. Of course, archaeologists and, 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 and other studies of the, of the sciences are amazed that we went from this hunter-gatherer uh, agricultural kind of species and in a few hundred thousand years, you know, we were working with iron and bronze. How did, what, what, how did that gap, how was that gap filled? And so uh, looking at how, well, we're looking at the pyramids, yeah, looking at the breastplates of uh, of of the high priest and what have you. So those are some examples. We know that uh, people had touched the ark of the covenant. Beautiful pictures, by the way, with the gemstones and what have you. Some of them died, uh, uh, and of course. To their to their minds, it was because of the wrath of Yahweh. Some of them may have just been electrocuted. Some of them may have gotten boils and what have you from radiation poisoning. Sure, I mean the priest had to wear this, these elaborate uh, kind of uh, um, gems and and robes and what have you. I believe it was to protect them from radiation poisoning. Uh, yeah. And. Um, But to their minds, it was because they had somehow angered the gods or they angered Yahweh. We see an example of this when Moses comes down uh, with the commandments and he's glowing. Yeah, he's glowing in Exodus. That sounds like radiation to me. Uh, So, you know, we look at the walls of Jericho. Uh, maybe there's the sound technology because yes they went counterclockwise and then they went counter and then they went clockwise. but when they blew the chauffeur, when they blew the horn, the sound was so intense, the vibration was so intense that it collapsed the walls of a city Yeah, Science is recognizing now that you can probably or, or they you can levitate bricks boulders, what have you, just by the vibration of sound. So the Bible gives us all of these examples that we're rediscovering, but that our ancestors were telling us, this is what happened. This is what happened. The Ark of the Covenant, of course, Ancient Aliens does uh, an episode about this every Mm. so often, at least once each season, uh, that that uh, this was a device. We just did the episode a couple months ago on the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Once again, um, and it's in, it's in the scriptures that they communicated with Yahweh. He gave them the metrics. It has to be built this way. These are the measurements. So they're exact. There was no room for error. And they had the cherubim there and the seraphim, and was made of gold and the shittim wood, and everything was designed for these specifications, and this is how they communicated with Yahweh. It was like a, a receiver, a transmitter. Yeah. But it was also very dangerous. Well,
2: and, and uh, uh, you know, um, oddly enough, as you mentioned a moment ago, meant to be used in conjunction with you you couldn't just go up and touch the ark of the covenant. You couldn't no, no, even no. you couldn't even be in its presence without wearing special
5: garment. Yes, the high priest and and it, and, and you see it today because you know not not with uh, the technology, but you know the robes that the clergy wear that oh, we yeah, still wear yeah. today. Oh. Uh, yeah, that, the, that That's that's carried down from them, yeah. and we know that the area above the mercy seat between the cherubim were related to the communications between Moses and Aaron and Yahweh. Exodus yeah. twenty five twenty two uh, talks about that. He, uh, he and it's he can commune with them. He can talk to them. So um, it's really fascinating looking at the book. Not, 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 not withstanding the profound lessons, the yeah. profound stories and teachings. So I don't want to say we're reducing it no. to science fiction, but it lends itself to this interpretation when we look at it through 20, 20th century, 21st century eyes, knowing what we do today.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. and And even once again, to know that, the breastplates that were worn by those that uh, that carried the ark um absolutely could be a means by which to shield themselves or to ground themselves from that technology uh once yes. again the ark in and of itself was was meant to be a conduit to communicate with god uh the chest plate of the the high priests was also meant to to do the same thing the the whole um image of the chest plate with all of the all of the gemstones and everything those are those all represent different archangels and things like that different it like they're specifically tuned to frequencies so to speak Yeah, would be the that, easiest that, way to put it.
5: It. and and that's why you had to wear protective clothing in the tabernacle you yeah. weren't and the priests were set aside yes there was privilege there was all the adulation, maybe the envy, uh, but these people were closest to God, yeah. literally and figuratively. And so those vestments in uh, the breastplate, the crystals, they emit light. They would light up to answer questions. They talk about the Umin and the Thumin. Mm, right. And uh, uh, so they were communicating with Yahweh through this device. And those people who did not know how, even when when it was captured by their enemies, they would die because they did not have the protection. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I would call it radioactive uh contamination.
2: Sure. I mean radioactive it could it could have even been some kind of high frequency device. You know, things like that. And to even, even the fact of if, if it was a, once again, a natural capacitor, um, even, even carrying sand and the remnants of tablets inside, um, with a, with a gold box that has layers of acacia wood and things like that, you, you've literally built a capacitor. Yeah. Like that that's physically what you've done. You've put layers yeah. of insulator and conductive material on top of each other and put two ways that it can go out in and out. <clears throat> and when you when you go through and read uh the construction of the ark, there is a very specific part that talks about a rod that goes down into it from one of the cherubim. Um which which oddly enough would be just like a a cathode. Um, on a battery, something like that. So, yeah. to, so to think about these garments that they're wearing is some means to ground themselves and, and to dissipate that energy if it hits yes. them. You know, yeah. um, it was
5: a dangerous business, my friend. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There, there are numerous, uh, accounts of people being struck down, being struck dead immediately, uh, just by being in the presence of the art That's without right. that. That's right. And, you know, one of the other concepts uh, that was there for the Ark, at least one theory was that it was a it was a power source for what was called the mana machine, which was basically a machine that was given by angelic beings to the high priests to help generate food for them while they were wandering in the desert. While they were wandering in the desert. Um I actually went through this, and I remember my brother and I talking about this years ago, like back in the '90s, stuff like that. And running across this book, um, and I, I don't even know if you can still find a copy. I've got to find one for my own collection. But I did go through and actively add the Mana Machine PDF to our UFO and Paranormal page on the on the Curious Realm. Uh, knowledge Vault.
5: Oh, right. You sent that link to me, right? And yes, yes, I yeah, did. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Yes.
2: And uh, this this was a theory put out by George Sassoon and uh, Rodney Dale back in 1978. And uh, here is the concept. The Man and Machine is a theory by George Sassoon and Rodney Dale that a machine device was given to the Israelites when they went on their 40-year journey in the Sinai Desert. The device was said to create manna, a type of chloric algae. It explains how the Israelites survived their 40-year wandering in the Sinai Desert. It is said that the manna machine was stored in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was supposed to have powered the machine to run continuously, producing manna for six days. On the seventh day, it would be taken apart for cleaning so it could run the following week. This is supposedly where the Sabbath is thought to have come from. Um, and it even goes into how it may have been taken to Oak Island. Like this may have been one of the things discovered by the Knights Templar and, right. and that it, that was one of the things squirreled away. But man, when you start going through and actively reading and looking at the diagrams of this thing, um, it's wild. It's, and you know, pretty much just like a steam generator, something like that. Not any, not any, um, crazy high high technology or anything going on. But to think that something like that may have been there, um sure, possibly.
5: Well whatever it was, it, it sustained them for a very long period of time. Yes. If it was coming from the ship, which it seems like it was, it it, it, it probably, as you said, had all the nutrients and the vitamins and what have you that they needed to sustain them. And so then the imagination can go off in so many ways. But when I think about this stuff, when I'm looking at, uh, you know, the Ark, and I mean, this stuff was hidden in plain sight. When I was growing up in the church, no one even, you know, it was right there. It was all about the way you read it or interpreted it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, precisely. And it, once again, as we talk about all the time, interpreting it with an open mind, uh, interpreting it from the eyes of the people who actively wrote it, not necessarily from a dogmatic point of view, but from a historical point of view. How were they living? How did it? How did it uh, reflect their life? You know.
5: Yeah, yeah. But also, if I'm thinking also, Chris. Well, not but. But in addition to, if I was reading the Bible in 1865. It would still sound so yeah far out to me, but now that we live in an age where we have this technological prowess, yep, you know, it just lends itself. Yeah, you know, in 1865, maybe there were some people, Jules Verne or whoever, you know, who had who had these these ideas, but yeah even then if you're reading the bible in 1865 it's still far out for you yes. but reading it in a scientific age yes it makes perfect sense
2: absolutely absolutely it makes it makes a whole lot more sense uh once you start applying science to the background of it Woo. and um the, the technology that they, and, you know, it's something that we talk about regularly with Stephen Myers, uh, whenever we talk about, um, the possibility that the great pyramids were built using water locks. You know, um, yeah. the Egyptians were fantastic users of water. Like they, uh, all the blocks came from up the river. Why would you take it off and then drag it through the dirt? Right, <laughs> <laughs> like it makes a lot more sense just to flood the plane and build the thing, you know, yes. and drop the yes. things into place. It doesn't. Agree. It doesn't necessarily have to be aliens that did it. It doesn't necessarily have to be alien technology. Uh, we are some clever critters, human beings.
5: Yeah, and, well, you know, I will say this because I was reading something on Facebook the other day and. And I get it because people were saying, you know, well, just because we can't explain it doesn't mean that star people did it. And that's true. But it also doesn't mean that they didn't.
2: That's right. It doesn't mean that we should excuse the possibility of it. It doesn't doesn't mean that we should be closed of mind to think that.
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's sometimes the argument I have with. More Afrocentrist folks, mm. that if you say that, you're saying these people of color could not build it with their own ingenuity. No, 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 I'm not saying that. Mm. We're just saying that an advanced civilization, regardless of the color, had a little help. Yeah. We all need a little help. Yeah. Okay, that yeah. doesn't take anything away from the ingenuity of. Of folks, I I, I mean, I get what they're saying, but no, you know, there are civilizations that Samaria, okay, which stitching goes into that Babylonia, uh, uh, Egyptians, and you know, listen, quiet as it's kept, from Word of von Braun and what have you. uh, So did uh, the German and the Nazis in World War Two, yeah that they were getting help with technology from otherworldly sources.
2: Well, and, and interestingly enough, we're uh, literally obsessed with the technology from the Bible, with with yeah. finding things like the Ark of the Covenant, um, with finding things like the Spear of Destiny. Um, they, they were obsessed with these, what they considered to be magical objects. And um, even even going back to their work with their Glocken um, and its basis on like Mercury Vortex engines, like what are spoken about in uh, Vedic texts, yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were they were playing with high, high technology that came and was sourced from ancient text and ancient thought, you know. Uh, and it's it's really interesting to see us even now uh, starting to apply some of this technology.
5: Yeah, but but yeah yeah, the, the, and I I think though the cat is jumping up. That's us. I think I think that what and I'm going off a little bit here. I think what threatens people with more orthodox views than what we're talking about is because we're taking away the mystery and the mysterious and the power of a God away because now we can explain all this. Do you see what I'm saying?
2: My God, man, did you just compare it to like breaking a child's heart when you tell him it's just pressed to digitation? <laughs> <laughs> There's a term for it, boy. It's called press the digitation.
5: Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, watch and, and what I, the other
2: hand's doing.
5: <laughs> yes. And, and you know and, and, and I know folks that okay like even when we go yeah. into artificial intelligence and, you know, robotics and pretty much what this is gonna be like in the future mm. the future's now. And a lot of people are saying we're playing God, but in some ways we are in the sense of we have the knowledge. We just don't have the spirituality to go with it. Thank you. But there's nothing wrong with these advances. It's just how we use them.
2: And, and, and you know, you could not you could not get more sci-fi profit than to say it that way, quite literally. Because one, one of the points that I make all the time on this show, Michael, is we are verging on a whole new world of technology. <laughs> Yeah, whole new world, man. Like I, I grew up with the Atari twenty six hundred, you know, yeah. like and and to know that that has just been obliterated. Even Moore's law, which I grew up with, obliterated. Now it's gone. That math is like archaic by five years. Yeah, it's mind numbing. And to think that our application of all this is a sex bot. Yeah. Um it's one of those like you want to know how you end up with the matrix? You you want to know how you end up with it? it? You you turn them all into slaves or you turn them all into sex bots. Yeah. And then once they become sentient, they get to see the past and go, "Oh, that's what you created us for, you monsters." Yes. You know, and it really is that we have the technology
5: but we do not have the spirituality. That's right. And, and that's why we'll destroy ourselves if we're not careful. And, and, and no, you said it, and I've always believed it. And um, I, you know, to me, it's like money. Money's not evil. Money's neutral. It's the yeah. ideas you bring to it. And so, when people tell me that, I'm not saying I'm not saying that there's not a God. I probably don't define that the way some people do. But I hear what you're saying—that we have all this technology. It's almost like worshiping it. And if we don't know how to use it, we'll blow ourselves up. But there's also the chance that evolution is slow, but we can use this. To me, it's not playing God at all. When I think about some of these star races who have already perfected this, well, maybe not perfected it, but you know, they have sentient beings, you know, some they find their craft, they do whatever they do. That's how advanced. Uh, the technology is. Yeah. And the spirituality is. But but I, I get the fear that we don't have that. And so we will wind up trying to play God mm. by not having the spiritual piece. And we yeah. will just have to start over because we're just going to destroy everything. I get that fear. Yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, no, I, I utterly grasp it. No, I I think a lot of people, especially whenever 2012 happened and the whole Mayan prophecy, uh, I, I think a lot of people misinterpreted that prophecy because the, you have I to, under, you have to understand the whole cycle of Mayan culture and the day and the night and the fact that, yes, the cycle was ending. The day was ending. The, the burgeoning of a technology, whether it's the, the fire, the wheel, Um, you know, it ships on water. What have you, uh, we hit a point of technology as humanity and now we're at the point of nighttime, which is the application of that and our chance to sink or swim. Now it's like, okay, Prometheus has given you fire. Do you burn the place down or do you cook a steak for the village? There you go. You got a choice And, and that's what we're in right now. Is that moment of choice and application of this technology?
5: Yeah, and I don't know how long the window is. Yeah, you know, you say you know we come from the Piscean age to the Aquarian age, however you want to frame it, but we have a window where we can make a choice to evolve, to become, to to recognize that God in us, that yes. consciousness, call it what you will, or we will burn this earth out to a cinder and we'll start over. And because it you know what? It's happened. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: No, like it's it's definitely happened. We are just part of a cycle. Man, uh we contribute <laughs> to the cycle most definitely, but hey, we can't do nothing about earth earth's poles flipping. And and when it happens, no. are we ready? You know? Like we can worry about a power grid all day, but are we ready? <laughs> like for well, that yeah, because, you because know?
5: We're, we we have contributed to the polls melting yeah yeah absolutely I was in church Sunday and uh, the, the sermon was on a different topic um, more of a geopolitical thing but someone came up to me who's into what we're into and she said you know we touched on a little bit about nuclear weapons and the threat that's that's going on now. Mm. Um, and she said, well, do you think the star people will come and save us? And I said, I, I don't think so. But I will say this. To, to think that way, to my estimation, you want to be more involved than that because what you're saying is somebody come help clean up the mess. I'm not saying they won't, but I wouldn't want to base my whole existence on someone yeah. saving me from the mess that I've made.
2: Well, you know, um, man, one, one of the things that we've talked about regularly recently with the whole disclosure thing and all that is the idea of Project Bluebeam and, and the idea of we now have a massive amount of technology where we, we got holograms like we can build a holodeck like we have holograms that you can feel and touch. Like yes. you can shake hands with the hologram and you will feel that hand. Yes. So the idea of using this technology to deceive mankind in, oh, yeah. in order to affect a, a, a spiritual division between those I who mean, who a, who are could, apocalypse could, could, driven and those who are not.
5: We could make the second coming of Jesus into an event. It's it's that's it's totally just, a false flag. It's and, yeah.
2: disturbingly real. It yeah. it's a disturbingly real possibility and to, and to think um like you said that that concept of oh please somebody save us that is that is all too easy the basket to fall into um and sadly I think what they're trying to go for as that means of control you know is oh, yeah. is when things happen uh something will intervene and oh please save us um but is it really that you know is it is it really um is it really that entity you know um and i think that's the danger that we have i think that's the danger once again with all of this ancient technology is is that there's always that spiritual caveat there's always that fact of You have to be spiritually prepared in order to use the technology. Because if you aren't, the Ark will kill you.
5: Yeah, yes.
2: You know, like you you had to go through ritual before you even, garb or not. Yeah. You know, you had to go through fasting. You had to to be spiritually ready to enter the the sanctum sanctorum, the, the inner sanctum of the temple. And yeah. be in presence. So, uh, you know, the fact of us being spiritual spiritually ready to use this technology I think is is a big part of of the technology itself.
5: Well, time was going to tell. It doesn't look good now.
2: It's not it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty no. picture. Um but but as with all prophecy and stuff like that there is a way out um there is a means out and of course that is enlightenment you know accepting other other thought forms other ways of being uh what what can we do spiritually right now to i guess leverage this technology that we have at our disposal you know and kind of kind of use it as a uh, a new sacred technology so to speak michael
5: yeah yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking of the technologies that we can all use mm. individually. The technologies of of prayer and meditation and fasting. I mean, those are to me, I label those spiritual technologies. But I, I I I know that 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 in some ways that may not seem to be enough, but that may be just enough because even if everybody did that, and I'm not saying everybody would, but if if we did that, we could change a reality. We can change our own collective individual realities and collective realities. I think that part of the spiritual journey is also realizing its limitations, your limitations as well. And by that, I mean, I can't talk to Biden. I can't talk to Putin. I can't talk to folks at the yeah. UN. I can't do that. But what I can do, and not that I wouldn't want to, but the mechanisms is just more, what I can do is what I'm doing now, Uh, talking to you, getting some ideas out, trying to treat my neighbor the way I'd like to be treated, being a good father. I mean, it's not earth shattering, but neither does it have to be. But in my way, I am doing my life's mission. And yes. that's all you can do. That's all you can do. Um and
2: uh, that's quite more literally. Than enough. Yeah. That's yeah. more than enough. Yeah. Um because you know once, Mother Teresa said you want to change the world, go home and love your family. That's right. That's right. Well, and make sure that your cup is full. Yeah. You can't you can't help fill anybody's cup if your cup isn't full to begin with. It's kinda there gotta be go. overflowing so that you, you got go. extra to give. You know, otherwise you're gonna go thirsty, and so's your family. Um, yeah. And that's no good. That's no good. Uh, and, uh, you know, even, even the idea right now of, um, just revisiting the idea of the mana machine and the modern concept of like, we have already made matter from light. It's CERN, you yeah. know, uh, so the idea of being able to feed the world, the idea of being able to provide sustenance in that way and and kind of that Star Trek way of like, hey, replicator, give me a give me a latte, you know, Um, imagine being able to have that everywhere, being able to just out of light, out of some laser matter um, to literally create physical matter that can feed people. Yeah. You know, Um, we can
5: do that. Yeah. Yeah. But we choose not to.
2: Well, and and that's just it. It once again loops right back to that spiritual component of you know, are we enlightened enough to make that the use? You know, um, and, no, and yeah,
5: we're, we're going to buy weapons. We're going to make weapons.
2: Yeah, yeah, and sadly, it comes down to the the profit margin. You know, oh, always. Uh, so it's it's strange to be to be caught in this loop of. Having access to technology, um, and and not being able to wake up enough people to motivate the technology towards something else.
5: Wow. Yeah, it's 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 we're we're living in a very interesting time. Yeah, and a hopeful time. Because I, you know, if you don't have hope, then what's the point? The gig, the gig is up. Yeah, but I, I, I'm excited, and I'm cautious. Yeah, rightfully so. Cautious intellectually, in the sense of I don't, I don't automatically say, "Oh my God, it's the age of Aquarius, and yeah. we're all going to see kumbaya in a couple of years." And no, we 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 could we could uh, we could blow the, we could blow the whole thing up.
2: Yeah, in a heartbeat it would it yeah. would be a lot easier than than the whole than everybody getting together for a Coca-Cola commercial
5: yeah you know so but but i think that um you know i'm doing what i can i there are other people who are doing what they can and you know we'll just we'll see yeah yeah
2: all all you can do is really make make ripples in the water Hope they turn into a wave when they meet somebody else's ripple. There you go. You know, um, and, and I guess that as 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 we close things up here with you, because uh, I know that you're on short time today, and we ate up some of that in our pre conversation. But um, once again, I guess trying to figure out how we can come together. Even even once again, the the point that we bring up all the time is that less than twenty percent of people took part in the American Revolution. So it doesn't take, like, four out of five to affect the change. It only takes one. Um, yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go around, like, trying to, um no, no pun intended here, Reverend, but going around and trying to beat people over the head with the gospel, anything like that, doesn't mean that you have yeah. to go around and try to convince everybody in every conversation to the truth, capital T, that you know. Um, But you, you have to be ready to have the conversation and you have to be ready to be open hearted and open minded enough to leave the conversation where it is and not not try to, quote, change a paradigm with every conversation that you're having. I think you're going to yeah. end up a lot more heartbroken with yourself and the world around you <laughs> if you try to yeah. do that.
5: I agree. I agree. And also, when you don't do that, and you leave space. For that, you could be wrong. Yeah.
2: I've been (laughs) wrong a lot.
5: Yeah. What's the old saying? It could all be otherwise. That's right. And, And so there's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of discernment. Um, you know, at you know, at the same time you want to plant plant your seeds and at and and at the same time you wanna have people the freedom to do what they need to do. I mean Yeshua talks about that, you know, in the parable of the sower. Mm. Some seed fall, falls on uh, good soil, some doesn't. Rocky soil, some seeds fall and thorns come up and, 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 and choke it. So you that that's all you can do. But that is somehow good enough and um I mean, it's a, it's an exciting time to be alive.
2: It really and truly is, man. Like every day that, and I follow a lot of news. I follow a lot of technology news. Uh, people ask me yeah. all the time how I can how I can follow that much news and not just get depressed. And it's like, well, ninety percent of it's opinion. You got to learn to filter through to the fact of what's going on. There you on. go. Well, that's and, and that's
5: a spiritual discipline. That's it, called discernment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it it only comes with time. It only comes with practice and it only comes with reading things that you may not agree with.
5: Exactly. Exactly. I would again, you hit the nail on the head, had that conversation with someone from church Sunday. They didn't like some things I said and I was using other news sources, Mm. um, a variety of news sources online and not. And this person said, "Well, I watch NPR, I listen to NPR, and uh, the tribes I said, "Well, you—that's not it. That's nice. Yeah. But but there's other stuff going on, other perspectives.
2: Yeah. Sorry that they didn't find the story keen enough to cover. You yeah. Know?
5: Yeah. Especially when we know that most of this stuff is being given to us by corporations anyway. Yeah. Yeah. What they, all- deem, what they deem is worthy.
2: Yeah." Yeah. Sinclair Media, things like that, um, that are just a conglomerate that own, you know, they're like a ticket master, except over broadcast. Yes. Same thing. If you go out and listen to radio, there's there's about two or three different broadcast media groups out there in radio, AM and FM, you know. So uh, it, it really does come down to being able to. Decipher that information, disseminate that information to sift it and, and it, it, to loop it back to our beginning of the conversation. Even when you're talking about the Bible and, and the stories yeah. in the Bible and the, the literal instruction manuals in, the, in the Bible, like there, there are instruction manuals on how to build it, you know, um, yeah. And oh
5: yeah, the metrics and everything are there. Yeah, uh, you know it's um, it's 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 the old adage: we don't see things as they are; we see things as we are.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. And in
5: order to to have, you know, you know, people talk about, well, I want to work on my psychic stuff, and I want to work on, you know, opening my third eye and doing. I that's wonderful. I I, I work on that too at times, but. Part of the discernment is having insight, Hmm. not just outside to what's going on. It's the insight that you want. Yeah. It's the insight that we need. And so that's discernment. um, There's listening, as you said, to other voices that I may not agree with because there's always three sides to the story. There's yours, mine, and the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. And right. so it's, 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 it, it, it's a lesson each and every day, brother, that's, that I get up, Yeah. but I, I'm glad I get up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What, what can people start to do to slow down and I guess start to gather that insight really, you know, it's hard, it's hard. We're surrounded by, I mean, I'm, I'm literally surrounded by no less than four screens right now just yeah. doing this show. Um, and I will be at this workstation the rest of the day working, Michael. Um, and it's, it's hard for us to mentally slow down. Um, even the way, even the way that somebody could slow down and meditate in the eighties or nineties, you know, we're, we're literally bombarded almost. So what can we do to begin to slow down to gain that insight that leads to discernment?
5: Well, I think you, you just said it. You are aware of what you need to do. You just have to take the time to do it. A friend of mine yesterday, she's a very talented psychic. Uh, um, she was talking about that her and her husband, they're both ex-military, um, really good people. Uh, they just decided that at least one night for their family, you know, mm-hmm. her daughters, no technology. Yeah. We are going to just be as a family, whether you're in the other room looking at your books or whatever. We're going to stay away from the screen. Now, that can be drastic when you people like you who make their living. But you've got if you find the time. Because there's no right or wrong way and it's going to be different each and every day to be still. Whether that means sitting in a lotus position, whether that means lighting a candle and just staring at it, whether it means going for a walk in nature, taking your feet, taking your shoes off and getting your feet on the earth. Those are the technologies. I called them earlier, spiritual technologies. There's no shortcut. It's not sexy. You got to find the time to be still. It could be three minutes. To your, to your unconscious mind To your subconscious mind Three minutes is an eternity If you can slow down your thoughts yeah, It's an eternity It doesn't have to be And I struggle with it too There was t- I, the t- I go seven days I'm meditating for 20 minutes uh, uh, 10 in the morning, 10 at night Or 30 minutes yeah. And then sometimes I go a week And maybe I put on a meditation tape or whatever mm. It's not a competition It's not... Um, it's, it's it, you know, it's not about trying to be the Dalai Lama, but be still and know. Get Walk away from the screen and go outside in the sun. Go on your porch. I'm telling you, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And that's when the insight comes, because you can't hear the guidance that you need if you're not still.
3: Mm.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Even a Star Trek, right? You know, whether... Uh, you know, it's 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 Bajor or in Deep Space Nine or whatever. You see these beings meditating. Yeah. The Vulcans on Discovery. They're they're taking here. They are in the in twenty fourth century, and they still know the technology of. Listen, I I need to go sit here, and we'll talk afterwards. It's 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 timeless. Get away from the screen. Doesn't mean you have to go back to it. You don't have to go back to it. But just yes. to slow down it doesn't mean that you got to be a Zen master and levitate. It no. just means that you focus on your breath, focus on your breath in and out for a few minutes to recharge and be still and hear what your what your inside is telling you.
3: Yeah, yeah.
5: Feel the feelings that you haven't felt all day.
2: Yeah, uh, that's tuning in. Yeah, you know, that brings me a lot back to uh, Father Andy, my my spiritual director in the seminary. His instruction to me was always to listen twice as long as I prayed.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just to be still. Yeah. It works. I'm telling you, when I was doing it regularly and I'm getting back, I practiced this form of Zen meditation meditation where I'm just breathing in and out. I count on the exhale. You don't go past 10. Mm. And you try not to have a thought. And and, you know, sometimes I couldn't get past the count of three. But eventually I did. And then when you get to 10, you go back. And you do that for a couple minutes. And your body will... It's like exercise. Your body will say, I want to sit here for a couple more minutes. I can't tell you how... um, More in touch, I became not only with my feelings, but my intuitive faculties. People would call and I would know who it was because I'm taking the time. And those things are not being spiritual. Those are some of the gifts that come along the path. Yeah. But my intuitive was heightened all because I slowed down for five, ten minutes in the morning a day.
3: Yep.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. It it really is that... uh... That presence of mind and taking the time.
5: Yeah, because you watch these whether I don't care whether it's Star Trek or all these sci-fi things, they they have more technology than we have, and they use it. Yeah, but they still take the time. Yeah, to walk away from it. Whether I got to go to the Hollow Suite. Yeah. <laughs> Whether I gotta go here and then the t- the temple here, I'm thinking of deep yep. space nine and the Bajorians. They, I just saw Discovery a couple weeks ago. The one of the women on there, she's a uh, a big shot and uh, she's Vulcan and she she goes to meditate with all that. So it's still a viable technology well into the twenty fourth century.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Reverend. Always, always a great time chatting with you. Always a great time talking about these fun, fun topics. Thank you so well, much we'll for taking again, the time. And,
5: uh, like I said, on the 13th, I will have moved. Um, so have more time because I like to sit down at least 90 minutes, two hours with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, but I hope this helps you out with sure your does. show. And uh, let's be in touch. All right, man. Sounds great. Okay, thank,
2: thank you so much. Take care. Uh, uh, Absolutely. Before we let you go, tell everybody where they can go other than the Curious Realm store to go get your books, uh, to contact you, everything else. Shameless self-promotion time.
5: Okay, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you where to go in a loving way. (laughs) If you you want my books, go to Amazon or Barnes and Nobles. Just type in Reverend Michael uh, uh, J.S. Carter or Reverend Michael Carter. I will pop up. Uh, you can reach me at my email, which is michaeljscarter.com. That's also my um, webpage, michaeljscarter.com. And you can just go to Facebook. I have two pages, Michael Carter and Reverend Michael J. Carter. Michael Rev- Reverend Michael J. Carter is a fan page. You can still reach me there, but I try to keep that to mm. UFO or paranormal stuff. Yeah, yeah. Michael Carter, the sky's the limit. So you got all those times and all those ways to reach me and I will respond. Yes, you do. In the meantime, do. keep your faith. Don't let this stuff get you too down. Go home and love your kids. Stay off the TV screens for too long. TV, movie, phone screens. And we'll see you next time.
2: Absolutely. Once again, Reverend Carter, thank you so much for the time. We're gonna go curious. ahead and let you go. Um while you're online we'll talk Absolutely we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be texting. Sure thing. Hold the line while we close things out real quick. Uh, sure, brother. While you're online checking out all the great work by Michael J. S. Carter, make sure to stop on by the Curious Realm store. That is where you can buy all the books from our guests Uh, having a little bit of an issue here lately but i know michael carter's books are still in there Uh, make sure to stop on by our events page that is where you can keep up with all of our live streams and where we're going to be going as well as the curious realm live page that is where we will be live streaming if you're an android user you can download our app, and you can listen right there on your mobile device. Until next time, everybody, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and remember, stay curious. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Curious Realm. Stay tuned for more guests, forbidden topics, and hidden truths. Download the official Curious Realm app and view the Knowledge Vault on our website, CuriousRealm.com. Follow us on social media by searching Curious Realm. Curious Realm is available on your favorite podcast services, as well as YouTube, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV through the APR TV app, available on all app markets. Curious Realm is a proud member of the H.C. Universal Network family of podcasts. For more great content or to become a sponsor of Curious Realm or other podcasts, visit hcuniversalnetwork.com today. Thanks for listening. Stay curious and remember, the other side is always watching.